0: I'm, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I think God is wanting to do something really crazy and really big. Um, I mean, he always is, right? So um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty expectant. I hope you are. We're going to start in Ephesians 4. We're going to go ahead and read that, and then we're just going to, let's just see what the Holy Spirit is up to. Ephesians 4, verse 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a spirit of truth and that you are here this morning And you want to invite us into new freedom, new understanding of truth. And Holy Spirit, I ask that even now and as I share this morning, that you would take down walls, that you would undo lies, that you would free us to fully be not only the individuals that you've called us to be, but to be the community, the authentic community that you have called us to be. And we silence the voice of the enemy in Jesus' name. And we resist every strategy and every deception and every confusing thought in the name of Jesus, and we just declare, God, that this is your space, you rule here, you have your way here, and we just surrender to that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're two months into um, the year of authentic community, and I just wonder how that's all going for you. I wonder if... um, I wonder if you're coming into CG every week and just looking around the room and going, God, I just love you guys so much. I wonder if you're just like looking around at everyone and just thinking, I, I just don't think I could like you or love you any more than I do. Or maybe it's all unicorns and fluffy confetti. And you're just like, every, every Sunday, you've just got all the feels and you just think, this is such a perfect community. I'm guessing by the giggles that that's maybe not been the total experience for all of us. (laughs) Maybe we're two months in and you're thinking, oh my gosh, 10 months to go. Do we have to stay around these people? Are you sure I'm supposed to love them? (laughs) Like maybe you've had disappointing encounters. Maybe you feel let down. Maybe this is actually a heck of a lot harder than you were hoping for. Maybe you feel challenged. Maybe you feel like, kind of uncomfortable when you start having some of the conversations, having some of the connections. Maybe you're wondering, how do I do this relationship thing? Maybe you're realizing, wow, I actually have some really unhealthy patterns of relationship. Like actually maybe I I don't really know how to do this community thing. It can be hard to be in community. Well, Ephesians, the letter that we, the the scripture that we just read from, is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a number of churches in Asia Minor, one of them being the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was not not dissimilar to us. It's a growing, expanding city. It was the center of commerce and trade, very cosmopolitan, tons of pagan worship, but the church was also growing at an exponential rate. And so Paul writes this letter to them and he says, let me give you some tools. Let me speak to your identity and let me give you some truths. Let me give you a framework of how you are to relate to one another. And there's an urgency in Paul's writing. In chapter 4, at the very beginning of verse 1, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's an urgency to this message. This is vital, this is critical. And what Paul is saying is the relationships, the way you live is directly connected to your calling. How you interact with one another is actually directly hinged with who you are, your identity, what you've been called into. This is urgent. This is important. In fact, I'd even say that we could say that we can't step into our calling. We can't step into the fullness of God, who God has called us to be unless we work on our relationships, unless we're in authentic community. And this morning, I'm going to focus on verse 25. And he says, Therefore, each of you must put our falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Now, the word here that's translated falsehood or lying in your Bible is a Greek word, and it doesn't just mean quit lying. It's not just talking about the words that come out of your mouth, though it includes that. If you look at it in context and you understand the letter of Ephesians, what Paul is actually saying is, I want you to eliminate all falsehood from your life. The things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you think and believe, I want you to throw that off. I want you to get rid of all of that. It's not just what comes out of your your mouth, it's the way that you live your life. It's what you believe, it's who you are. You see, the way that we live, the things that we say, are really built upon what we believe what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God, what we believe about other people. So that's all inclusive in this word from Paul. He's saying throw off all of the stuff that doesn't line up with truth because what you believe matters. What you build your life upon matters. Your identity matters. If you've heard me speak before, you've been around me enough, I love to quote my one of my favorite people in my life is my mentor, Jerry. He says this, We don't build our lives on what is true, we build our lives on what we perceive to be true. We don't build our lives on what is true, we build our lives on what we perceive to be true, what we think is true. The way we live, the way we speak, who we are is all built upon a foundation of what we perceive to be true. And you see, perception is important. It defines the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at God, the way that we look at one another. It becomes core to our foundation. But what if our perception is distorted? What if it's obscured? What if we don't see clearly? What if we don't see truthfully? And you see, the thing is, this foundation, what we believe, we build our lives on it and we build our personalities around it and we begin to carve a place out for ourselves and our family in the world built on this foundation. But what if the foundation has cracks in it? And what if the foundation isn't strong? And what if what we believe is not true? So we build our lives, we build our lives, and then our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our decision-making, our priorities, all of it stacked upon, stacked upon, stacked upon this foundation, and it guides us and it directs us and it feels true. It feels like this is, this is accurate, this is truth. We build our lives on it. Does God love me? Am I valuable? Does my voice matter? Am I accepted in the world? Do people love me? All of these things that we have opinions about. And some things feel incredibly true, but maybe aren't. And we live into that identity. And then sometimes, if our foundation is cracked, if it's not true, if we were handed a set of beliefs that maybe aren't God's truth about our life, then our lives become cracked and broken, and distorted, and we come here on a Sunday, and we start talking about authentic community, and then we're like, whoa, all this stuff is coming up. Like, I'm anxious, and I feel aggressive, and resistant, or passive, or I just want to be silent, and we begin to see the foundation of our life play out in our relationships with one another. We have all these feelings, and all this stuff going on. See, what we believe about ourselves and about God and one another directly impacts our relationships. See, we don't realize how toxic the lies of the enemy are in our life, in our foundation. We don't realize how much it impacts us. We don't realize that the armor that we wear actually keeps people away. We don't understand why we feel so alone, why we can't connect, why can't we let people in. We have these strong exteriors, we're so capable, so accomplished, but intimacy is so elusive. We can't see the connection because the lies are so deeply embedded in the foundation. We think it's true, we think it's who we are, we think it's who we have to be. And at some point we bought into the lie from the enemy that we're alone in this world, that if we don't make it happen, no one will, that we have to be strong all the time, that we're fine, no chinks in this armor, no needs, I've got no prayer requests, let's just pray for you. No, I'm fine, it's okay, let's talk about you. We're all zipped up, we're locked in, and we're so desperate for connection, and we so want that intimacy, we want to be seen, we want to be known, but the armor is so thick and so strong. See, at some point we believe the lie That we could save ourselves. That we could become our own savior. That others will fail. That God will fail. Maybe God isn't good. I'll do it myself. I'll make it happen for myself. And isn't this Genesis 3? Hey, look at that thing that that God won't give you. Take it for yourself. All right, I will do it myself. I will take it. I will make it happen. And so many of us live life this way. And then we come to church and we sing songs about God being a refuge and God being our protector and coming in and working on our behalf and we sing them like we mean them, but we're lying because we don't mean them. Because deep down, we don't believe that that's actually true. Maybe it was survival. Maybe that's what we had to do to survive. Maybe life was incredibly difficult, and maybe people didn't show up when they said they were supposed to, and maybe we've had to scrap, and maybe we've had to hustle, and we've had to wear that armor just to survive. And now, years later, we just have no idea how to even take it off. We don't know how to connect. We don't know how to move past it. And then we go to CG. And we all sit around, and we talk about authentic community and wanting to be in in each other's lives and bear one another's burdens. And it feels like we're trapped behind this wall, and we want to get out, and we want to tell people what's going on, but we just don't have the tools. And we believe the lie that we're stuck there, so we live from that place. And some of us have a really hard time just showing up and being seen, And we tend to avoid the messiness and the intimacy of community by choosing a cynical or judgmental edge. At some point, we bought into the lie that if people can't see our pain and shame, then we won't feel it either. So we cover up with judgments, and we look around, we have accusations, we redirect it all out there. Oh man, if that that pastor could just be more like this, if the church were more like that, gosh, if worship could be a bit more like this, and it's all directed out, it's all directed out, and we have this kind of judgmental edge to us, because God forbid that we look inside, because it hurts, and it's painful, and we're so unimpressed all the time, we're so San Francisco, we're so cynical. It's like, we're ske- everyone's laughing because you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> we're so skeptical and suspicious and detached, and we walk around San Francisco like we're untouchable. Nothing bothers me. I don't care. I was disappointed before you even started. <laughs> <laughs> right? We all have this like cynical edge. And something good comes along and we're like, okay, here's like 20 reasons why this is not even true, why you're a creep, why you're a crazy person, why this is never going to happen, before it even starts, because we've got this baseline, baseline of cynicism. You know what Brene Brown says? She says it's much easier to live disappointed than to feel disappointed. It's much easier to just set the bar low and just be like, I don't even care. Doesn't bother me. I didn't really want that job. I actually didn't try that hard. San Francisco, whatever. Relationship, yeah, I didn't really care. I didn't expect much. I didn't have hope for much. See, the baseline is so low, and we think, then I won't be touched. Then I won't feel the pain. Then other people won't see me. They won't reject me. And at some point, we believe the lie that we could numb loss and grief and disappointment, but still keep joy. But the problem is you can't selectively numb emotion. So when you walk around with this baseline of cynicism and judgment, and I'm unimpressed and disappointed, and we shut down the parts of us that feel pain, because it's so hard to feel disappointed, to feel lost, to feel grief, we shut that down. What we don't realize is we're shutting down access to love, and desire, and dreaming, and joy, and peace. And then the days, and the weeks, and the months go on, and that's just who we've become. And so the lies that we tell are rooted in the lies that we believe. And some of us here have mastered the art of avoidance. We somehow manage to always be late and and leave early. We always seem to miss the text messages or forget to respond. We pretend that we're inaccessible. I'm sorry, but we're choosing to be inaccessible. Let's be real this morning, church. Avoidance is just another form of falsehood. It's just another way that we lie to one another. Avoidance is a form of control. It allows us to pop in and out of the narrative of our life without the weight of responsibility to show up or to not show up without any responsibility. And we've mastered the art of not showing up. Physically, we just don't go to things. We skip CG and we delay and we procrastinate, and we claim to forget or be busy, and we avoid eye contact, and we change the course of a conversation when it gets a little too vulnerable, and we're so good at taking control through avoidance. But we're also emotionally inaccessible, and we choose not to be present. we zone out of emotional conversations and we use humor to diffuse and we can't explain it's just the way i am and just wired this way and at some point we bought into the lie that my comfort my safety is more important than connection with you we bought into the lie that the enemy told us and told our community me feeling safe Me being in control, me being in my comfort zone is actually worth more than being deeply connected to you, serving you, loving you, being in relationship with you. And we're afraid to show up. Deep underneath some of this avoidance stuff is the fear of failure. What if I show up and I don't know what to say? What if, I, what if I start that, that conversation, that hard emotional conversation I just have nothing and I just feel like a failure and I just feel like I'm lacking? What if actually my voice doesn't even matter? See, so much of our avoidance is rooted in what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God and about other people. And let's get real right now for a second and talk about dating. <laughs> Everyone that was on the phone just suddenly looked up, like, wait. (laughs) We have developed strategies in the dating culture in this church that are rooted in avoidance. We have developed strategies that are about taking control, choosing to be inaccessible, about our safety and our comfort, our preference. Listen. Listen. If you are in a serious relationship, but you still have your online dating profile open, and you're saying, <laughs> and you're saying, oh, I just, I just haven't got around to it, or, you know, I'm just kind of leaving my options open. I just, I just keep forgetting. Okay, that is avoidance, right? And that is a lie. And if you don't have the energy, if you don't have the capacity to click that thing off, then you are not ready for a serious relationship. Could that one hit home. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, here's another one. If our phones are constantly set to do not disturb because we want to avoid admitting that we got messages, if you want to be completely absent and check out and not emotionally show up and respond to people, it's not okay. You see, some of us say, well, it wasn't serious, uh, it was just a couple of drinks, no big deal. It's not like we were like, engaged or anything. I didn't make a commitment to them. Okay, here's the thing. Maybe you missed the memo. But when you signed up to be a Jesus follower... When you said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, when you came into this community and you said, these are my people and I'm gonna be in relationship with them, guess what? You made a commitment. And it's called the body of Christ, all right? And if you open the Bible and if you read through the New Testament, it talks about what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And because it was a couple of drinks or because it was one date or because you just met a few times doesn't disqualify you from the responsibility Ability of loving your brothers and sisters like you are one body because we are connected. We are connected. We are members of one body. We don't just get to turn around and say, well, I can treat you like trash because you know, it wasn't that serious. This is serious. This community is real. Yeah. And if you want to be in this community, then start playing by the rules. Amen? Amen. Right. Amen. <laughs> Look, I think there's an invitation here for us. You know, joking aside and like, oh, that went to my heart. Aside, like, there's an invitation here from Paul. Throw off falsehood. Throw it off. It's not who you are. We don't date like we used to date. Might have been how you did it before, but not anymore. Now it's about laying my life down for you. It doesn't matter how serious it was. We've got to stop avoiding the hard conversations. We've got to stop opting out because it's more comfortable for us. We've got to stop sending the texts and the emails because face-to-face, well, that's just awkward. Community is awkward. Community is messy and difficult. And we have to face it and just... You know, it's, this word is not just for those of us in the room that are single, it's also for those of us who are married. You see, sometimes we think that the lies we tell and the falsehood are explicit, but sometimes it's the lies of our mission. Sometimes it's the stuff we don't talk about. Look, some of us here who are married, we bought into the lie that this is just as good as it gets, that we can emotionally check out, that we'll stay present until the kids are in college, but then we're like, out of here. It's the stuff we don't talk about. It's the elephants in the room. It's the vulnerability. It's the conversations that we just don't have. It's the emotional breakdown. It's the silence. This is all the same kind of falsehood. It's the same judgments. It's the same avoidance. It's the same self-sufficiency. It just shows up different in our relationships. I wonder what lies you're believing about yourself about God and about other people today. I wonder how it is distorting and affecting the way that you relate with the people around you. Jesus is really clear in John eight about where lies come from. In John eight, he's talking to Jewish people who dispute who he is. He's talking about his father and he's making a very serious spiritual claim. He says there's two fathers and this is my father, Yahweh. This is, this is God of heaven. He's my dad, but y'all, y'all have a different father. And let me tell you about him. And so he goes on to say in John 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, there's two clear things here that we learn about the devil from this passage. He's a liar and he's a murderer. He will lie to you, he wants to lie to you, he loves to lie to you. In fact, he's been lying to you since you were born. Look, the devil is no respecter of persons or age. He doesn't care whether you are three or whether you are 30. He will come at you with a strategy, with a complex set of webs of lies. He will reinforce it. He will confirm it. If he can lie to you and get you to buy into it, then he's got you. And he can destroy you because that's how toxic falsehood is. That's where it comes from. It comes from the pit of hell. So when Paul is saying, throw off falsehood, he's saying, have nothing to do with the devil. Don't partner with him. Don't believe the stuff he's telling you. Shake it off. Disengage. Do not have contact with it. Because this is where it comes from. It comes from the devil. And you see, some of us think that the devil is just sitting on our shoulder, just maybe silently influencing, saying some cute little things. Listen, his lies about your life are for your destruction. He wants. He just, he's not playing with you. He's not a prankster. He's not a joker. He's not being like, oh, I guess that didn't work. Move on to the next person. He is 100% committed to throwing your life off track. And if he can do that when when you're young, great. I mean, that is why volunteering with the kids ministry is so powerful. What you get to do is disrupt the lies at a young age. What you get to do is to step in and say, okay, let me tell you what's true about you. He wants to go after you. He wants to destroy you. He's not looking to trip you up. He wants to tear you down. He wants to tear down this community. We are in a year of authentic community. His job has not changed just because we started a new theme for the year. He's doing the same thing he's always done. I'll lie to you and I will destroy you. And if I can pit you against one another, and if I can get into the dating culture of this church and just mess with it, If I can get into your marriages and tear you apart little by little. Look, he is playing the long game here. He's not just one quick attack and then, oh, I'm out of here. He will plant the lies and he will water the lies and he will feed the lies. And over the years, he tries to separate and pull us apart. He wants to destroy this community. And that is why Paul is urging the Ephesian church Throw this stuff off. Live a life worthy of the calling. Have nothing to do with it. That's your old self. That's the falsehood. That's the hiding. That's the stuff that's not part of you anymore. I have two boys. And as a parent, every parent's going to relate to this in the room. The stuff that your kids do that you just want to be like, stop it. Just stop it, right? Like behaviors, that you you wish parenting was that easy. You could be like, stop it, and then they go, okay. But that just doesn't happen, okay? Just so you know. Doesn't happen. So I've had a lot of conversations over the years with my two boys, and let's just take lying as an example since it's our theme of the day. And you know, when I have a conversation with them, it's tempting to just wanna be like, just stop it. Stop lying, stop doing that stuff. Okay, that's tempting. But that is not the long game. The long game is for me to start with identity. So when I start talking to my children, let's say they've been lying, I don't start with, just stop doing that. I start with, let me remind you who you are. Let me tell you how God sees you. Wow, this behavior is very confusing to me because it just isn't you. You know what, God has got a plan for your life and it's that you would be a truth teller. And let's talk about our family culture. This is what it means to be in the Kim family. This is who we are. You see, my primary directive as a parent is not to discipline. My primary directive as a parent is not to discipline, it's not to correct behavior, it's to call out identity. Because when you know who you are, you know how to live. When you know who you are, you know how to live. So I say to my kids, this is who you are, therefore don't lie. This is who you are, therefore don't punch your brother in the face. This is who you are. This is who you are, therefore. But they have to know who they are. Look, we need to know who we are. This is what Paul's saying. This is your old self. Who is your new self? Jesus bought you and he paid for you and he speaks truth over you. You know what? You are valuable. He does have a plan for your life. He is good. He is for you. Your voice matters. All of this truth, all of this truth, it needs to go deep down into our hearts. And thank God we have the spirit of truth. Thank God that we are children of the truth because we have a father who's the father of truth. This is who we are. And you see, some of us are struggling with those behaviors that I talked about before because we don't know who we are. Or we lost sight of who we are. Or maybe no one ever told us who we are. And that is what Jesus longs to do this morning. He wants you to know who you are so you can take off the armor. He wants you to know who you are so you can lay down the cynicism and hope again. He wants you to know who you are so you don't have to avoid, so you can show up, not have to be gripped by fear, not have to avoid intimacy. He wants you to know who you are so you can be present to community. Throw off falsehood and embrace the spirit of truth. There are three forms of speaking the truth that I just want to talk about this morning ways that we can practice who we already are, live into the truth of who we are. Number one, confession and repentance. Listen, there's some stuff in our lives that is deeply rooted, lies that are deeply rooted in the prayer before the gathering. Someone had an image of like something being planted deep roots. Some of us have some stuff that we believe. It's deeply rooted. It was given to us. It was told to us. It was spoken over to us. But listen, at some point we agreed with it. At some point we said, that is more true about me than what God says. And there's a place there where we need to bring it to God and just be like, you know what? I need to confess. I've partnered with this thing. I've agreed with this thing. I've given this thing space in my life. I've harbored it. I've sheltered it. I've nursed it. I've sat in my bed at night thinking about it, marinating on it, agreeing with it. I've journaled about it. I felt like this was true, so I said, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie myself to that. There's a place where we just have to come in confession and repentance and say, okay, this is not true. And I want to come out of agreement with it. And listen, there are some of you here, and there's some sin stuff in your life, and you've been trying to get free from it, and you've been doing all the private confession and repentance. Listen, there is some stuff in our lives we cannot get free from without bringing it into community with one other person and saying, will you pray with me? And there are some of you right here that you're like, man, there's this thing, it just keeps tripping me up. I feel bound, I can't get free. There's an opportunity this morning... To come up and receive prayer and just confess with one other person and say, Let's pray together. Listen to my repentance. Agree with my repentance. Bring it into community. You see, the thing about community and why it's so important that we speak truth is we don't see clearly. Our foundations are distorted. We're not quite sure what's true. But when you bring it to somebody else, they can say, let me tell you what's true. They can be like that parental voice to my children, and they can say, okay, let me remind you who you are. Let me tell you what's true. We need community because the lies feel so true. They feel so true. When we think that our marriage is over, and there's just no saving it, and there's just no feeling, and it's just that's just it, it feels so true. You know what? Hopelessness can feel like it's preaching the truth to you. It can feel so true. And God wants to undo that and bring hope and healing and restoration. James five sixteen says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's a healing that comes in confession and repentance. And it isn't this heavy weight of I'm this awful person where you have to spend at least 30 minutes sobbing and like beating yourself up. It's this simple thing that's a gift from Jesus that we just get to come and say, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not who I am. I'm turning my life around and the other person says amen. And then you move on into the new self that God has for you. Number two, vulnerability. I want to share this story with you. Last Sunday, um, Al Abdullah Pastor from Reality Boston was here and he shared a message. It was called Bearing Each Other's Burdens. And to be completely honest and vulnerable with you right now, I came into that Sunday hot because I'd had a couple of weeks of just like, God's been inviting me into these new places of vulnerability that for me are very uncomfortable. And I just kind of been wrestling with a lot of shame attached to it and just feeling like, oh, feeling alone. Just like, it, I just came into Sunday, I was like, Jesus, I need to know that you see me. Like, this is rough. So, right, he's preaching this message. And those of you that are here, you're going to know exactly what I'm going to say in a sec. And he says, if you want to pray and you want to release that burden, go ahead and stand. So I thought, well, shoot, I guess I have to. So I stood up to pray to Jesus. I only wanted to pray to Jesus. (laughs) All right? And you guys are feeling me now. So I did my little thing, a Jesus burden. And then he goes... Okay, now turn to one another and share your burdens. I was like, I'm sorry, friend. I, I did not sign up for this. This was a me and Jesus conversation, and this is what happened. No lie, knee-jerk reaction, of sitting right up there. I looked to the exits, and I thought, can I sprint out of here fast enough? Will people notice? I looked at the people that were surrounding me and I thought, I'm not gonna get out of this. (laughs) So I was like, okay, all right. So we now huddled up and I shared my burden. And I'm not gonna lie, the entire time, I felt sick to my stomach. Hated every moment of that vulnerability. And you know, Christians, Christians like to hold your hands, right? (laughs) So I'm like standing there and they're like, okay. You know, holding my hands, and they touch you, and, uh, and I'm weeping. I'm not just like sniffling, I am snots coming out, but they've got my hands, you know? So I'm just like trying to, I've got a scarf and I'm like trying to wipe, it's, it's a it's horrible moment. Okay. So that's a plug for vulnerability. So. Home, and I was talking to the Lord that afternoon, and I was like, okay, God, you know, that kind of sucked, but fine. I was obedient, and um, I do feel a little bit, a little bit better, but I'm just, I'm excited to see what you're going to do about this burden. Like, I wonder, you know, what's going to happen, and this is what the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart. He said, Ruthie, yeah, your burden is important, but you have already received the most important reward, your freedom, your freedom, and I thought, okay." Um, Yeah, there was a place that I went to, a vulnerability, and I came back and I'm still alive. There's a place that I went to that I invited people into that was so uncomfortable I felt physically ill in the moment, and yet I came out of it, and I feel a level of freedom that I didn't have prior. And here's the other thing that happened. Over the course of this week, there's been some significant things that have happened in my family, with my children. I won't go into details. But significant, supernatural, spiritual, miraculous breakthrough. And they have nothing to do with the burden that I asked for prayer for. And this is what I realized this week. The blessing and the breakthrough that comes with obedience is not limited to your area of obedience. Okay? So we say yes to Jesus here. And he does it over here. You see, this is the thing. We sometimes talk about trading in church. We talk about, I'm gonna give him my sorrow and I'm gonna get joy and give him my sin, and I'm gonna get forgiveness. Here's the problem with the word trading it implies an exchange of equal value. But we bring this stuff to Jesus, and he goes, I see you and I raise you by like a hundred. I see that burden, I see that vulnerability, I see that level of obedience, be it resisted obedience, but I see it and I will raise you, and I will touch your kids, and I will bless your marriage, and I will show up here because this is who I am. You bring me one thing, and I give you a 100 in return. See, this is the blessing and the breakthrough of the kingdom. God is not limited to the one place where you say yes. Imagine what he could unlock with your vulnerability. Imagine what's going to happen. Look, there are some things in our life There are some destiny things, calling things that we can only access in community. There are parts of you, listen, there are parts of you you will never know except in community. Imagine that, that you could go your whole life and there's all these gifts and parts of you and destiny and calling. And it's because you're made for community. So when you're outside of it, and you're not engaged with it, you're not accessing everything you were made for. Imagine what God could unlock in your life if you say yes. And the final thing I just want to talk about is hard conversations. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, you will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, who was the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, if you've been around the church as long as I have, when you hear the phrase, speak the truth in love, you eye roll. Okay? You eye roll. Because this phrase seems to have given license to all kinds of criticism negativity, harshness, and rejection. It seems to be that some people think if they preface a really mean comment with just speaking the truth in love, that, that somehow it will land and we'll all go, oh, thank you for speaking the truth in love. Or some people like to tag this on the end of really abusive and unkind language that rejects people and makes them feel excluded and they just say, just speaking the truth in love. So this verse can become problematic for us. But what I want us to understand is you can't take a phrase and take it out of context in Scripture. You have to look at what's around it, and you have to look at the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a deeply relational book. It's pulling us towards one another, not away from one another. Notice the words that surround this speaking the truth in love. If it's, could we could put back up on the screen. Words like grow, mature, joined, held together, grows and builds itself up in love. That's the kind of language that surrounds Speak the Truth in Love. So this kind of truth-telling that Paul is directing us and instructing us to enter into is not for destruction. It is not a weapon, and it's not a wrecking ball. Okay? It's part of the kingdom of darkness. That kind of truth-telling is part of the kingdom of darkness. That kind of truth-telling strips and destroys and tears down and separates. This kind of truth-telling builds us up, makes us strong, calls us up in identity and says this is who you are. Now does that mean that all the conversations are fun and fluffy and nice and everyone feels really good? No. Does that mean sometimes these conversations include anger and emotion, and pain? Does this mean that sometimes these conversations call out injustice and make people feel uncomfortable, and it feels messy? Absolutely, but if we are doing it for the purpose of building up God's church, if we are doing it for the purpose of saying, ultimately, I want us to grow together, then that's the kind of truth-telling that we need to be, not a community that walks in, drops a bomb because it makes me feel good, or because I need to straighten you out, or because I need to let off steam, and then peace out to this community, that is not the kind of truth-telling that Paul is talking about. He's saying, speak the truth in love, have the hard conversations, allow there to be emotion, come back to it if you need to, let stuff come up, let people share their hearts, as long as it's for the purpose of growing us up in Christ because that's the kind of community that we want to be. Don't be a community that drops a bomb and walks away. Be a community that says, okay, I've got a hard thing, and I'm here, and I'm gonna work through it with you, and let's just keep being vulnerable, and let's just keep sharing our lives. See, vulnerability is contagious, so when we enter into it, whether it be through hard conversation or just sharing something about our life, it invites other people to do the same. There are some people in our community that are not able to take this step until they see other people doing it. Somebody has to go out of the blocks first. Somebody has to raise a hand and say, you know what, I'm gonna be vulnerable. And you know what, if you're a leader in this room, in our community, I wanna say this, there seems to be this lie that somehow vulnerability disqualifies your leadership, that somehow, if you're a leader, then you've gotta let everybody else share first, and you've just gotta be a little bit put together But let me tell you, that's one of the lies in the foundation because it is your vulnerability that does qualify you for leadership because you can't take people where you haven't been. So if you want to lead, and whether you're leading in our church, whether you're married, whether you're parenting, and someone's looking to you for a relationship, then be the first one to raise a hand and say, I'm going to be first out of the blocks. Let me share what's going on in my life. Let me be vulnerable because when we do that, we make space for hard conversations. We make space for other people to say, well, I've had this thing and I didn't know what to do, but it seems like this is a safe place. Can you imagine if San Francisco could just like look in on our community? Not Sundays when we're all like nice and put together, but you know, like the real CG times when we all come in from work and our hair's a mess, we've got our sweats on and we're just like, If they could just like look, and maybe that's just me. Um, If they could just like look in and they could see us being vulnerable, confessing and repenting, having hard conversations. I think they would say this. I think they would say, wow, that is not pretty. That, that is a little bit messed up. That looks really awkward and challenging. But my God, these people are committed to one another. Can you imagine what our church, what a city on a hill This church would be in San Francisco for people to come in and actually see us date differently, have marriages that are alive and infused with the spirit of God, have community where we press in instead of pulling back and avoiding. I think that would inspire San Francisco to pursue Jesus. That's a redemptive community.